We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention, I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Guy Fawkes night has come and gone with the usual fire and brimstone as I warned yesterday with yobbos up and down the country hurling fireworks at each other, in one case throwing them at the police in Leeds. And if your night was anything like mine, you'll have been hearing explosions going off all the way through until about 2am. Looks like I was right again yesterday uh, when I was calling for a slight regulatory change to the way that fireworks are sold uh, and also a massive, massive drawback on how many of these actual firework displays go on. Uh, we'll be continuing to take your calls on it today. It's clearly something that needs fixing. And we've got some great responses. We want to continue that today. 0344 499 1000. Coming up this morning, the Prime Minister will be going to see the Queen to dissolve Parliament and to mark the first day of official election campaigning. Jeremy Corbyn is at a rally in Telford. Nigel Farage is going to the Lake District and the Green Party are unveiling their manifesto too. Just in time uh, for the Bristolians to be told this morning that you won't be able to drive a diesel car through the city of Bristol after 2021, for heaven's sake. Meanwhile, up in Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon has written to everyone asking for Remainers to unite behind the SNP to save the European Union. Exciting, isn't it? Just five more weeks to go. What a time to be alive. 0344 499 1000. And just to bring you that feeling of deja vu and a throwback to the 1970s, there are two big strikes planned for Christmas. The post office and the railways are grinding to a halt. Tremendous, isn't it? Well, someone please tell the unions that it's actually 2019. And in full solidarity with the royal family and Queen Elizabeth II, I am also, too, rejecting any further wearing of animal fur. So I just wanted to know that I'm not going to wear any fur from this point onwards uh, and from this point forwards. Thank you very much indeed. That's doing my part for saving the planet. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, some of you may not remember the 1970s because you may not have been alive or indeed compass mentis enough to know what was going on. But I can assure you that all of these people who tell you what a great time it was, how it was really easy to to be able to afford to buy your own home, how it was really great uh, to be able to use the NHS when it was much better than it is now, and how it was really wonderful to be able to travel around Britain uh, on the nationalised railway systems and all the rest of it. Well, the truth is, it wasn't great in the 70s because there were strikes all over the place, and as you were just hearing from Julia Hartley Brewer there, we used to sit around in the dark for most of the, the day, uh, for most of the week. We didn't have enough heating uh, or energy or oil or coal or gas to power the schools in which we were supposed to go. So the schools were basically only open for half a day a week for each particular year. Uh, the rest of the time you were supposed to hang around in the streets, hang around at home where there was no electricity so you couldn't watch any television. It was an absolute nightmare. Now, of course, we are told uh, that we're going to have more misery coming up into Christmas because uh, the unions have decided to have an unprecedented 27-day Christmas rail strike on Southwest Railways. Now, you have to say they do have a heart of some kind because they're not going to strike, they say, on Christmas Day and Boxing Day. 
Well, guess what? There aren't any trains on Christmas Day or Boxing Day anyway, so the fact that you're not on strike for Christmas Day and Boxing Day means absolutely nothing. But we want to hear from some of you out there as well, 0344 499 1000, because not only are the railway workers going on strike, the post office workers are going on strike as well, and that may actually disrupt postal voting during the election. Let's talk to Professor Len Shackleton, uh, Editorial and Research Fellow at the Institute of Economic Affairs, and see what he makes of it all. Len, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you. Thank you very much for joining us. Are we returning to the dark days of the 1970s? Because it's not feeling terribly nostalgic for me, I have to say. <laughs> no, not for <laughs> me. Uh, well, these, these strikes are worrying. They are throwbacks. Uh, they're, they're, they're not typical of, of um, the labour market as a whole, of course. These concentrations of union power in the old, previously nationalised industries, you know, you know that's, this is the biggest uh, part of... Um, uh, union membership in the in the private sector. Now, both the Royal Mail and uh, uh, the railways, of course, are slated uh, for renationalisation yes. uh, under Jeremy Corbyn. Mm. So, you know, this is this is important because this is could be a kind of precursor to what we're going to see. Uh, at the moment, the strike on South West is is just a, a regional thing because that's a particular company they're striking against. But once they uh, should the whole thing be nationalised again, of course, we can expect national rail strikes, something which we haven't experienced for very many years. No, so. quite. And the rail strike is interesting in itself because they've been arguing about this particular issue uh, for which they are now striking for about three years and it hasn't yet oh, been yeah. resolved. And, of course, the unions will say it's the management's fault, they haven't been good enough at sorting out a reason for, uh, for, for doing what they're doing. And the unions, of course, being quite intransigent, willing to, to put so many commuters and their journeys at risk. It's ridiculous. Well, it is insane. This is about uh, the business of guards operating doors. And, yeah. of course, there, there are large chunks of the railway where this isn't an issue at all. I come in on C2C from, uh, from Shrewsbury Ness. Okay. You know, into, into Sounds like an Ian Jury song. Yeah. Well, there is an Ian Jury song. There is. Fact, actually, yeah. Uh, not by train, by road. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> Um, that train, uh, that train system has had no guards on it for, for ages and ages, and there's no problem there. London Overground doesn't have guards on it. The Tube doesn't have guards on it. DLR doesn't have guards on it. You know, these there are not loads of fatalities as a consequence of this. This is an old-fashioned union job protection measure. Exactly right. And so, for the for the poor sort of humble commuter who pays for a, a, a railway season ticket, presumably they have no recourse uh, to get some money back if the trains aren't running. I I don't know what the exact uh, you know uh, conditions are on on Southwest. The different companies have different rules about these kinds of things. Right. But generally speaking, I'm always uh, very underwhelmed by the kind of the possibility of compensation. The train companies make it as difficult as you as they possibly can. If your train is late, they say, oh, if it's more than half yeah. an hour late, you can get compensation. All you've got to do is fill out this impossible form, uh, and then all you can do it online, which is even more impossible. And by the end of the time you've spent half an hour trying to figure it out, you've given up. Yeah. You know, well, it, I mean, compensation is... Uh, uh, I mean, most of the delays on, on, on the railway are, are the result of network rails problems, which, are, of course, is nationalised. Mm. And there's a huge amount of compensation which actually paid over network rails to the, the operating companies, something like 300 to £400 million pounds a year. Some of that gets back to the customers who've been delayed, but not enough of it, I think. Yes, no, quite. And let's talk a little bit about the post office strike, because there are yeah. some who say that that's kind of politically motivated more than anything because of the fact that it's going to affect probably postal votes during the election, which is more likely to affect older voters, which is more likely then to have an effect on the Conservative Party. 
Yeah, I, I, there may be something in that. Um, I, I wouldn't particularly go down that route. I mean, clearly there are big problems with Royal Mail. What's happened there is that uh, you know, letter traffic has collapsed much faster than was expected. And uh, although parcel uh, deliveries have gone up, um, they've not gone up very, very quickly because there's lots of competition, of course, from other uh, parcel deliverers these days. So you've got a real problem there. They've got a new boss in, uh, a guy called Rico Black. Mm. Who they, you know, they, they, there's, a, there's a kind of arm wrestling going on here, I think, as well. I mean, it was, it was quite a big uh, vote for this, this strike. Um, so I don't think it's a purely political thing. But... Oh, no, I don't think it's purely political at all. That wasn't what yeah. I meant. I just meant that it no. could have that kind of effect, which would make it doubly well, sort of it, it, uh, uh, irritating. Because if it's, in, if it's, it's interfering... Well, yeah, if it's interfering with, with the sort of uh, the process of an election, not for any particularly political reason with a, with a large P, it's just, it's just wrong. Because, you know, the point is, is we haven't... I mean, although we, did, we are having more elections now than we've had uh, since we brought in the Fixed-Term Parliament Act than we used to have and we didn't have the Fixed-Term Parliament Act. But, um, I mean, you know, if they are going to disrupt the process of the election, then is there not something that the government can do or that, uh, uh, that uh, the authorities can do to put a halt to it? Well, it's, it's a difficult one, really. I suppose they, they could extend the period when postal votes are accepted, but that's yeah. only at the expense of delaying the results. Mm. That will be very difficult to, to handle, I think, these days with media leakage and all, sure. that, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, so I, I don't actually think there's much the government can do about this. Right. And there is, of course, a question about whether we should be having so many postal votes. So, I mean, we're talking in terms of something like 8 million now. Yeah, right. now that, that's not kind of people like, you know, old people who can't get to the polls no. or something like that. This is... Uh, well, I think it's partly laziness, but yes. there's also a kind of suspicion that, well, maybe some groups are trying to fiddle this in some way. And Heaven forbid. You know, you know I mean, that would be dreadful. But let's yeah. look at what they are planning to do. They're saying that they're going to probably uh, uh, have the first strike over five days which will cover Black Friday, which is November the 29th, and yeah. Cyber Monday, yeah. two of the yeah. busiest shopping days uh, in the calendar, when everybody goes mad and gets kind of sold a con job by all, uh, by all shops, <laughs> and they go and buy things that they could have bought for the same money earlier in the year anyway. Um, yeah. But obviously yeah. they'll want stuff delivered. They will, but, you know, um, there are other companies who are doing this. You know, it's, it's, uh, there's a, a lot of... I mean, one of the things which the, the unions don't like, of course, is there's a lot of casual labour in parcel delivery now. Yeah. You know, you get somebody turning up in their car and, and somebody knocking on your door and giving you something which comes from Amazon or somewhere. Um, I mean, there will be ways around this. So they give it, if they're giving it enough notice, then companies will get around it, I think. And that will be up to the detriment of the post, uh, to the uh, Royal Mail eventually. Mm. You know? Yeah, but this is why I find it amazing, in a way, that they're still thinking that striking is, is the way forward. Because, you know, as you said, the post office has lost an awful lot of custom over time to various other courier companies and various other delivery companies. And you wouldn't have thought that they'd have enough of a foothold against their employers, i.e. The, 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 the nation, um, to, to hold them to ransom at all? No, I think it's a very difficult, uh, very difficult time for Royal Mail. But as I say, the, the, you know, this is associated, I think, with uh, the longer-term issue about renationalising the Royal Mail. Yeah. And, of course, if that happens, then we can expect to see uh, you know, all sorts of uh, regulations coming in to protect Royal Mail deliveries at the expense of other... 
um, parcel deliverers in particular. Right. Because there was a time when Christmas for the Royal Mail was a kind of boon time, wasn't it? I remember when I was... When yeah. I, was just, when I, I was, used to work on, on the Royal Mail. Well, every, I mean, every student, years. every student that, yeah, that could yeah. would, could get their hands on a, on a job at the, at the post office over Christmas because it was very well paid and it, the hours were not particularly ty- you know, tiring and it was a brilliant sort of part-time job to have. I don't even know yeah. if they do that anymore. I... I guess they probably do take on temporary workers, but I, I, I shouldn't think it's anything like the scale it used to be now. No, right. And what about the unions, generally speaking, Len? Because are they, I mean, are they still as powerful? I mean, we know they're still quite powerful within the Labour movement, but in terms of the way that they did used to hold the country to ransom, I mean, I remember in the newspaper business, newspapers weren't published. The Times was not published for over a year, I seem to remember, yeah. back in the 70s, yeah. because there was a dispute with the print workers. And the same with, with uh, before the Murdoch papers all moved to Wapping, you know, the Sun would quite often just not come out because somebody in the press in the print room didn't like one of the stories, you know? Yes, that's right. It was incredible. Well, I mean, did yeah. they have what sort of power do they now have? Well, union, you know, union membership has, has fallen, uh, you know, dramatically, um, and now less than twenty five percent of the workforce is actually unionised. Um, it's largely concentrated in the public sector or in these kind of hangover things like uh, Royal Mail, uh, water, elect- uh, energies and, uh, and, and things like this, which used to be nationalised and there's still a big concentration of workers in them. Um, but in the, in the private sector more generally, uh, you know, most union membership is very low indeed. Mm. And what's particularly uh, concerning about it for the union movement is that young people are virtually totally absent from uh, from the unions now you know tiny tiny proportion of uh, say 16 to 24 year olds are actually in unions compared yeah. with the past right and so, so they the must surely be in decline then and their power must therefore be in decline and their their income must be in decline that's all true and of course there've been uh, mega mergers in the union movement to try to to you know compensate for for, for this loss of income and membership and so forth but you know who can say what the future is? If, if Labour get back into power, they say they're going to uh, introduce sectoral bargaining, they're going to make it much easier to become a union member, to get recognition and so forth. Um, and we may well see uh, some resurgence of, of union membership um, in some sectors. Right. And so how do you see these uh, two uh, sort of, um, problems being resolved? Do you see um, uh, the RMT somehow caving in and being given some more money and so therefore they'll walk away and they'll, they'll suddenly the safety issues will disappear? As somebody pointed out to me this morning, if they were that worried about health and safety, they wouldn't allow so many people onto the trains in the mornings and in the <laughs> evening uh, to stand there like sardines pressed up against each other. Yes, we've all experienced yeah, that. Sadly, um... we have. <laughs> Well, I don't see any short-term uh, solution to, to this one. Uh, it, you know, it does depend on what the outcome of the, the general election is. I think it'd be very worrying indeed if we go back to a nationalised railway. I think a lot of people want a nationalised railway. They see the, you know, all the problems on the railways, but in my view, you ain't seen nothing yet. And, you know, you, you were saying at the beginning, you were around in the 70s, you remember uh, these problems, so do I. And uh, I think a lot of... Uh, younger voters now have no idea. No, the but it feels kind of like the death rattle. Present. It feels like it's the sort of last throw of the dice from the RMT and from the Post Office Union as well. And if they don't get anywhere, and if they don't win, and they don't get what they want, um, I think it's all over for them, isn't it? Well, possibly, but you know, there's there's a, a great. <laughs> 
people are a long time of dying, aren't they? I mean, you, unions have uh, existed for 150 years or so, and uh, I think to write them off completely might be uh, a little short-sighted. You think I'm, you're not accusing me of being <laughs> short-sighted, Professor? For heaven's sake, you can't get away with that. This is the Independent <laughs> Republican White Graham. Listen, thank you very much indeed. Professor Len Shackleton, uh, Editorial and Research Fellow at the Institute of Econ Economic Affairs. I'd love to hear from you uh, if you're with one of these unions, because quite frankly, uh, striking in this day and age, 2019 is the year, may I remind you, is the most ridiculous thing that I could ever imagine anybody wanting to do. Why would you go on strike? Because your union leaders tell you to do so. The union leaders, by the way, who live very high on the hog, who have all sorts of perks of the job, who often have preferred apartments given to them in London, who often have houses given to them in London, who often have cars that are driving them around in London, who often have very expensive meals out on the union funds, who basically tell you to go out on strike from which you will receive no money. You might get some strike fund money, but you'll probably have to do without coming up to Christmas, right? They'll be fine. They'll be leading lovely, very fat cat-type lives. And you, on the other hand, will be manning picket lines, standing around braziers, trying to keep your hands warm in the middle of winter. Is that really the way forward? Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, you know what to do. 0344-499-1000 is the number. Uh, Scotsman says, what about ambulances and fire appliances in Bristol? Pablo uh, has sent me a report in which it says that the latest diesel cars are well below emissions limits, according to recent tests. I have a diesel, says Giles, and a blue badge. Are they going to discriminate against the disabled? And Steve says, diesel cars are better. I did 250 miles on Sunday night. Average speed around 55 at 74.8 miles per gallon. That's a two-litre Merc. Less fuel burnt, less emissions. Well, exactly. You know, the idea that Bristol are going to suddenly ban diesel cars is a nonsense. It's virtue signalling craziness, and I don't think it should be allowed to happen. But, but if you're in Bristol, we'd love to hear from you. 0344 499 Right now, though, uh, we're going to talk uh, to the Dogs Trust. We're going to talk to Owen Sharp, specifically, who's the CEO of the Dogs Trust. We've been talking about fireworks only uh, a little while ago, uh, but this is not so much just about fireworks. This is about dogs and the purchase of dogs, because one of the things that happens around this time of year is people decide... Oh, it'd be nice to have a dog, wouldn't it? It'd be really good to have a dog. The kids would love a dog. Let's get a dog. Uh, let's talk now uh, to Owen. Owen, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Now, I've got a dog, so I'm going to declare my interest uh, first off. Uh, we went to a very reputable uh, person to get the dog from as a puppy. And, uh, you know, we were properly vetted because the person we got the dog from uh, is a breeder who won't give it to anyone. Uh, if they, she doesn't like the cut of your jib, if she thinks the kids are a bit too sort of rebellious and, 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 and crazy, she doesn't give them. If people say, I'd like a dog to match my furniture, she doesn't give the dog, you know. So, uh, unfortunately, not everybody is, is quite as scrupulous as that. No, that's true. Um, and we are... In a world where um, we're used to buying everything online, and unfortunately we found increasingly that that is a mechanism by which um, people are buying dogs and uh, people are supplying dogs. Um, and we found, we've done some research, and we found that as we get closer and closer to Christmas, week on week, the number of people searching uh, for buying a puppy goes up and up. 
Um, and that's why that we're, we're uh, launching our Christmas advert and we're reusing the phrase that actually we launched 40 years ago, which is the dog is for life, not yes. Christmas. Which is a great slogan, I have to yeah. say. It's one of those ones that almost everybody knows. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It, everybody knows it, but unfortunately, the evidence is it's not entirely landing. Um, we know that we've improved many aspects of dog ownership, but we see the number of people getting dogs at Christmas and potentially giving dogs as gifts is uh, still fairly high. And that for us at Dogs Trust, who are a rehoming organisation, um, means that we are seeing that the demand in the first half of uh, the year um, goes up and we think that is often because people are getting the wrong sort of dogs for them mm. uh, at Christmas time. Absolutely right. Now you've got Karen with you uh, who's have. from Essex. She's the owner of Dandelion, a Mexican hairless puppy. Um, I'm not entirely sure what that looks like, Karen, but welcome to uh, the Independent Republic oh, of Mike Graham. thank you. Um, now Dandelion was one of a pair of puppies abandoned. Hard to believe oh. that people abandoned dogs. And where, where was he found? Um, she was found she, um, in a park in Wickford. The two of them were found um, in a shopping basket, wrapped in a blanket. Goodness. Uh, it's just awful. It, you know, that when they took them in, um, someone fanned them and handed them into the dog's trust. Right. You know, they were severely dehydrated. They weren't in a good way. And I just, you know, why... Why do people do that? Why do they not take them to the dog's trust? Right. Why just leave them? And also, what do people think a, a dog is going to be like? I mean, because I suppose what we should be saying to people, if they're not aware, is that it's a bit like having a baby. You know, you have a puppy which needs to be house-trained, it needs to be oh, shown absolutely. how to do everything, it has to be kept indoors until it's it's had its uh, all its shots and it can mix with other dogs and all of that. But it's it's like having a child, isn't it? It really That's what we say indoors. We do laugh because it is actually like having another baby. Yeah. You know, she's 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 fantastic. She's part of our family and we all love her to pieces. Sure. But it is a massive commitment. Yeah. And it's you know, you've got to put in the time, you've got to put in the energy, you know, you've you've got to be there for her. Mm. And how old is a dandelion now? She's seven and a half months. Oh, okay. So still quite young. She's still a baby, yeah. Does she does she do anything particularly naughty? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She's um I won't say what she is actually, but I <laughs> <laughs> oh, know. But we just, when she does do silly little things, we just love her to pieces. Mm. And she's just a baby, you know, she's just learning. She she has started puppy training, and okay. I, I was impressed. She did really well. So. Yeah, my dog was a, was a Labrador, right? Terrible at obedience school. Absolutely awful. It was the worst behaved dog ever. Oh. Um, wouldn't do anything. But now, is uh, now it's about five now, and he's about a year ago he finally kind of matured and stopped just running off and stealing people's sandwiches on the beach and that kind of thing. Oh. You know, but they're such a delight, aren't they? Oh, oh they really oh, are. I mean, let me go back to you because we've seen in the past a lot of problems with imported puppies and and, and puppy sort of illegal puppy farms. Do you feel like there's more work can be done in that area? Yeah, we do. And particularly puppy smuggling is an issue that Dogs yeah. Trust is doing a lot of work on at the moment. And one of the things about um, talking as well about kind of this dog is for life, not just for Christmas message is that the danger is that if we see demand ramping up um, around particular points in the t time, then that is the time when we might be starting to make the supply chain uh, wonky, as it were. In other words, we may be, you know, if you're getting a dog online and you're trying to pick the what you think is the perfect designer breed for you, then there's a possibility that you're not getting that dog from the most reputable place. You may be um, linking into kind of elements of things like puppy farming or puppy smuggling. So there are lots of issues still around um, dogs. We would encourage as many people as possible to get rescue dogs, as Karen has just told you. And um, I got to meet Dandelion this morning 
couldn't um you know a really great dog and it's a great ending to a story that started so badly and you have the opportunity to be part of that journey if you come and talk to us at dogs trust we will find you the right dog it just may not be bang on in time for christmas because that may well not be the right time to get that dog but we will find you the right dog once we've gone through the, the, the conversation with you, figuring out what would be right for you. Okay, brilliant stuff. Owen, thanks very much indeed. And Karen, thank you as well. And give our best to Dandelion, the dog, uh, who will have his first Christmas, I guess, coming up. Uh, maybe we'll get some nice bones. Who knows? Who can tell? Uh, this is Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are your election station here at Talk Radio, taking you all the way through every twist and every turn and every uphill, every downhill, every gradient, every climb, every fall, everything that's going on uh, during the election period, which, of course, is now officially underway. We're expecting Boris Johnson uh, at Downing Street any moment now. But before we do that, let's go back to the phones. 0344 499 1000. Mark uh, is in Bristol. Hello, Mark. Morning, Mike. How, How are you? you? Yeah, very well yep. indeed. Are you are you a, a diesel driving Bristolian? Well, uh, worse than that, uh, uh, I am a courier company. Oh uh, God, m- myself, yes. <laughs> uh, I drive. I've just bought a new van. Uh, it's eight months old. Right. Uh, diesel. Uh, there's absolutely nothing on the market suitable for courier uh, at the moment, electric wise. The only thing that's available uh, is that the Renault have got a small van. Right. Uh, Transit have bought, recently bought out a, um, a version of the Transit, which is uh, the only hybrid van available. Right. With, and when I mean by hybrid, I mean obviously battery and the and diesel. Right. And it'd be, be interesting to see whether that one's going to be banned. And it's and how uh, what's the price comparison like? Oh, <laughs> you're looking around uh, thirty-five thirty-five thousand for the right. Transit. Right. And, uh, and one you, and one you bought less than that, I assume. Uh, yeah, significantly. Right. Yeah, well, 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 clearly. Well, this is just so, madness, I mean, isn't it? I mean, what about the council's vans? I mean, the council are bound to have loads of diesel vans, which they will presumably replace uh, with electric ones uh, at cost to the taxpayer. Well, you know as well as I do. I mean, in, in Bristol, it's, it's a nightmare with the traffic. Yeah, anyway. of course. Uh, and you, yeah, and you've got. You're quite right. There's there's only a couple of electric um, um, uh, vans in, in in Bristol that, that the council have got, and they're tra- they're trialling them, but uh, they do less than eighty miles. And right. As soon as you put any as soon as you put any weight in them. Uh, you know it, that reduces, and then, right. and in the winter that takes the battery down as well. So sure. you, you end up living around around about thirty miles. Also, I mean, I've and been to Bristol for a while, but my recollection of the street parking in Bristol is there's not much of it. And if you're going to try and put up a few, you know, electric charging points, you know, where are you going to get them? No, you you can't. The, the the only way that anyone's going to be able to charge vehicles is if it's going to be within about uh, if you can charge a battery within about ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, so there have to be those super. There have to be those superchargers. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Absolutely spot on. That's, that's the only ones that are going to work because yeah. you know the, the, the technology is just not there yet. It's just not, it's just not there. It's I mean, madness. The only, the, what's, what's this? What's this bloke all about? This leader, council leader. Do you know much about? Uh, well, Reese. He, he's, well, he's a, he's a joke. I mean, to, to be honest, right. he, 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 he's virtue signaling, as, as you put it earlier. Mm. He, he wants he wanted to be the first one to ban diesel. Well, well, brilliant. But, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I do some sub work for Royal Mail as well. Okay. All their vans are diesel. Right. 
I mean, genius, isn't it? I mean, you could not make... I mean, I don't know what's going on in this world that we now live in. I mean, when, when did these people get put in charge of it, you know? Well, uh, they just got to use a bit of common sense. Perhaps they ought to put them in your tent. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, start injecting them with some, because it is incredible. It's unbelievable. Well, well, Mark, listen, we'll have to try and stop it. That's the only thing we can do, is try and stop it. Maybe nail yourself to something or glue yourself to something so they can't take your van away from you, you know? That's the, that's the only way you'll get anywhere. <laughs> and, that, and, you know, that would be to join the, the extinction. Oh, no, I don't, no, I don't even want to go there. No, you don't but... want to do that. No, blimey. <laughs> well, listen, I really appreciate your inside knowledge there, Mark. Thanks very much indeed. As I suspected, you see, the council themselves have got loads of vans, which will be diesel, which they'll have to replace. With what money? Oh, yeah, the council tax. Unbelievable. Let's talk to Susan, uh, who's in Holland-on-Sea. Hello, Susan. Oh, hello, um, Mike. You want to talk about fireworks? Yeah, I've got two things to say. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm not a killjoy or anything, but the thing is, um, I've got a dog, a rescue dog. Right. He's very nervous of fireworks. Yes. If, if people could see these dogs, how they react, it, it's absolute, absolutely saddening. It's awful, isn't it? It is. And um, I was, you know, if they had sort of sparklers, things like that, that haven't got that banging sound, mm. you know, and, if it, and it was done properly, but you don't need the fireworks. I'm not being funny, but we don't need fireworks even on New Year's evening or no. anything like that. And I think, really, if, if they're going to have only have it as a proper organised one, as you say, out somewhere where you're not, really near houses or anything like that. Uh, they might have to travel people, and I think they should be banned from shops. I mean, my daughter's dog, mm. now her dog is a young dog, it doesn't mind noises or anything. He was all right. Yes. Uh, they went out, uh, not obviously with the dog, but they went out to watch fireworks um, near to where we live, and uh, apparently the second table from them, a rocket firework fell down on somebody, I don't know any more about it, but that's what I heard from yesterday. That's shocking, isn't it? You and see what I mean? And that thing was an organiser Yeah, thing. I mean, the thing is, Susan, yeah. I mean, I think everybody would accept, even those of us who don't think it's a good idea because of our dogs yeah. or whatever, we'd all accept, you know, Guy Fawkes Night, 5th of November, yeah. that's when it happens, OK? You make plans to avoid it if yeah. you can. Yeah. But it goes on for so long now. I know, it's and we'd, we've had this going on for days and days. I mean, I hope, I mean, he's settled now, he's all right. But it's, you know, he goes in our cupboards he, and all, I mean, I'm not, I mean, we can put stuff away afterwards, but everything's pulled out. He tries to hide in places. We have got places for him to go to and that in there, but he, 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 he panics, you know, and it's so, and that little pup uh, a little while ago, he died, that little dog. Yes. That you heard about. Isn't that it. awful? I, think, I really think so. But I do hope something comes in place now because, as you say, there are people that don't seem, you know, just buy all these things, let them off anywhere, anytime. They were going off late last night, about half past nine, ten o'clock. Oh, later than that, and where I was, yeah, I was yeah, hearing them after yeah. midnight, you know, which they're you know, not supposed to be doing. I went out in my garden to do something, bang, bang, you know, from a di I don't know where they're coming from. It's incredible, isn't it? And, I mean, yeah. you live in a relatively quiet part of the world, don't you, Holland on Sea? I mean, yeah, it is. It is a, you know, it's a lovely, uh, lovely area where we live. But, um, you know, it, it's all around the country, isn't it? it and is. I really hope they do get strict on this now. I think they should ban all these fireworks from shops and only reputable, if, you know, even there they've got to be careful. When they have these events, it's only that sort of thing and people won't be able to buy them. No, you're absolutely right. You Susan, know, a thank bonfire, you. I mean, you know, like you say, you do jacket potatoes and all that. That's great. 
And there's nothing wrong with a little fire, uh, sparklers, right. you know, if, if the children are being watched and that. But no. it's these bangers and... I mean, it's like a war zone, isn't it? Well, they've got so much louder. And I mean, I know we're probably sounding like a couple of old idiots here, but I mean, I'm sorry. It's very much different to what it was uh, when when we, we when we were younger. You know, once a, uh, once a year, have a bit of a blowout, buy some little fireworks, put a, you know, nail the Catherine wheels to, to your fence and all of that. It's quite good fun. But not now. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like sort of being in the middle of Baghdad or something during the war. Susan, thanks for your call. Let's talk to Adam, who's in Leeds. Hi, Adam. Mike, good morning. How are you? Very well, sir. What do you want to tell me? Well, Mike, I, I, your comparison the 70s to now. So I don't know why you're bringing this now and you're scaremongering people that we're going to go back to that time. Well, how am I scaremongering? Yeah, you are, Mike. How? Are you scared? I'm not scared at all. Well, then I didn't stop working, then, is it? I don't believe everything you say to us, mate. You know, because oh, that's good. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of people who have common sense, like the, the some of the Tory uh, politicians, and they will believe everything that you say to them. Well, lots of people have common sense, but unfortunately not enough of them. This is why I'm trying to educate everybody to have common sense, Adam. Yeah, you're trying to educate them by bringing back the 70s, where you actually, that time where you lived... Did you live in the 70s, Adam? I, I was born in 1974. Oh, so you don't really understand the 70s, do you? Because you were only a baby. No, I don't, but I read right. about it. Oh, you read about it? Okay, so I lived through it, uh, you read about it. Which person do you think knows most about it, me or you? No, I know you better. You know better than me, but Thank what you. I'm saying is you're bringing it back to the time that we are in now. No, I'm not. I'm just saying that we had a lot of strikes in the 70s and yeah. the unions now are going to try and have a lot of strikes now, so they're trying to take us back to the 70s. That's what I said. No, they will not take us back to the 70s in terms of the situation or the condition that you're okay. in. OK, so when there's a post office strike in 1976 and a post office strike in 2019, what's the difference? Completely different. How is it the different? Time the time has changed. The way we send letters or send emails or, send, or make phone calls or, or tweet or, or Facebook or WhatsApp, it's completely different. It was, right. We will not go back to the same way that it was in the 70s. All right. The well, let me ask you about the train companies then. So if there's a train strike in 1976 and there's a yeah. train strike in 2019, what's the difference? Yeah. Well, the difference is the strikes always happen that because the worker, they're trying to improve the situation that they work in or improve the company they work for. Are you sure about that? Yeah, in the 70s, when the strikes were happening, we, we had government like Margaret Thatcher, who trying to uh, basically destroy the country, right. destroy the whole industry. Do you know when Margaret Thatcher became Prime Minister, Adam? I think around the 80s. She just said the 70s she was in. Well, well from, her, from before her and comes to her era, that's why they tried... Well, her, her era was in the 80s. She got elected in 1979, right? So the yeah. 70s was actually not... Uh, the Tory area, it was the Labour area where the, the Labour Party yeah. grew. Before well, that, Edward Heath was the Prime Minister in 19... You know, you don't know enough about the 70s to make a case, Adam. But listen, the, the, the problem with, with, with the strike, what I'm trying to say to you is, we have to strike so we can have our rights properly. Are you going to be striking, Adam? If, if I can strike, I'm a self-employed, but if I have to strike... So you're not in the strike, then? No, I'm not. Right. I agree with the people who strike most of the time because Why? we have politicians. Well, you agree with anyone that strikes, do you? Not, not, not everyone. Okay. But I agree. I agree with the one who strike to change things and make them better for us. Okay. 
What was the last strike that you agreed with? The last one yeah. was when the, when the children went out of school to strike about the environment. Oh, the climate strike? Yeah. Yeah, but you see, they're not really at work, so that's not really a strike, is it? Well, they're missing their education. So you agree with the, the fact that we should be changing the way that we operate in terms of save the environment, then, do you? Of course, yeah. Are you driving a car at the moment? I drive a car, yes. Yeah, what sort of car? It's a four-ton eel. Is it diesel? It's a diesel Euro 6. Diesel. Don't you think you should give that up, then? I'm changing my car to a newer one. That is hybrid. A hybrid, good. The next, All the, right. next, the next six weeks. Oh, good. So you'll be playing your part in saving the planet, then? That, that's that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, you, you don't believe in that. I, I don't know how. Do you not believe in that? You, you seem to me like have the same ideology as that Trump has. Like, yeah, that's right, believe. yeah. I'm just like Donald Trump. Exactly like me, he is. We have a lot in common. I'll tell you well, why you I don't... Believe. I don't. I don't believe a load of nonsense, Adam, like you do, right? I do not believe, for example, that we are in a climate emergency. I've just explained to you that even the people that call it a climate emergency are only yeah. calling it that so that the stupid people will think it's an emergency. That's why they're doing you know, it. They, Michael, the stupid people is the, is the people who are like you who don't believe on it. It's not the people who believe on it. Right. So, so what do you what think... So, so what do you think... You're, so, so by changing your car to a hybrid, what do you think is going to change about the world, then? Well, if, if I do my part, you do your part, everyone do his part... And, and what's going to happen, then? It will change. It will, it will change. You're going to change the climate. Do you really believe that you... You think... Oh, I'm stupid, right? You actually think that by changing your car, you're going to change the climate. That's how thick you are. I'm not sick because you think if I change my car, nothing will change. Nothing you will change. Sick. Nothing's going to change. Sick or you're sick. Nothing. Well, Michael, listen, Michael. I think you are sick. Do you? And you call the people who believe in the climate change <laughs> stupid, but right. I think you are stupid. Well, that's and fine. And the people who don't believe on, on, on the climate change are the ones who are stupid. Okay. Because because if you if you if you if you think like that, yeah. And basically, you're trying to uh, because people listen to you on the radio yes. station, and they think that you, they look at you our role model, yes. and they think, oh, oh, Michael is saying, telling us the truth. Yes, where this I am telling you the truth. No, you're not saying the truth. You're trying to brainwash people. No, I'm not. You then said you to me. You said to me. You said to me that you don't believe anything I say. Yeah, because you don't have any common sense, and right. you're trying to no, like no. people. I see. Okay. Well, listen, Adam, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Uh, I haven't been called thick for a long time. Good luck with the new car and good luck with saving the planet. Uh, and when you get the new car, please call in and tell us how the climate has changed as a result of your new purchase. Thank you very much indeed. Adam's in Leeds. Uh, I'm in London. Uh, you are everywhere else. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the land of common sense, uh, as Adam has just said. Uh, I think he's got it round his ears a little bit, but uh, never mind. Uh, he will learn. 0344 499 1000. It is time, uh, of course, to welcome uh, the uh, delicious LaDonna Harvey, who is here from KOGO Radio in San Diego. LaDonna, very good morning to you. And a good morning to you. Now, I must warn you that uh, the Prime Minister, Mr Boris Johnson, may be appearing at any moment out through the door of Downing Street. And if he does, I'm afraid we're going to have to dump you unceremoniously, according to my producer, uh, off the air. I hope you don't mind. 
uh, no, it happens to me all the time in my dating life. So why would this be any different? <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Now, we're going to talk about Donald Trump in a bit, but a fascinating uh, little sort of tale came my way yesterday uh, about uh, Amy Roback from ABC News. She's a, a well-known uh, TV anchor who was caught on a hot mic, as it was described to me, um, talking to her producer when she thought she was off air. It's a lesson in broadcasting, isn't it, to never say anything when you're near a microphone in case it's still on. Uh, yes, that is absolutely true. Um, but bless her heart for saying it. She was furious and said that she had been sitting on the Epstein story for three years and right. ABC refused to air it. Yeah, and more interestingly, from our point of view, uh, she says basically Buckingham Palace uh, had sort of put pressure on ABC not to run it. They have since denied that uh, and said it's nothing to do with them and it's all to do with ABC and the ABC lawyers. It sounds to me like... She had an interview with one of these women who uh, was whistleblowing on, on Epstein and Prince Andrew and all the rest of them and Bill Clinton, and they didn't think it stood up. That sounds what it sounds like, doesn't it? It's what it sounds like, and she says that uh, the girl, whose name is Virginia, I believe, um, she's a woman now, uh, had pictures and had everything that she needed to back it up, uh, and that Prince Andrew was involved and that Buckingham Palace had squashed it and basically threatened ABC, saying you won't get to interview Prince William and Kate if you don't squash this story. Right. I mean, presumably, apart from anything else, ABC must be pretty unhappy about all of this coming out, mustn't they? Well, they should be, because NBC's been dragged through the mud over it uh, because of Ronan Farrow and what he's uncovered over Jeffrey Epstein. Right. Um, NBC has been, has been moving fast to try to squash it, and it's just, it will not be squashed. It just won't. This guy it was an extraordinary, very successful pedophile. And, you know, we know that. He was convicted of it. Uh, but, but the extent, I think, is still yet to be uncovered. And I think that it probably will bring down uh, quite a few very high-profile people. Right. And one of the things she says in, the, uh, uh, in this off-air discussion is that one of the reasons they weren't interested at the time was they were all saying, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who it is. Uh, it's not really a story for us. But surely the people who he was associating with would have made it a story. Oh, you betcha. You betcha. And, and, and it's a lie to say nobody knew who Epstein was. Right. And he had been here 10 years before, uh, or probably seven years before, when he was sent to prison, and those names have come up before. This was, Jeffrey Epstein was not an unknown. ABC, uh, if they told her that, was absolutely trying to cover something up. Yeah, and that's the that's where it starts to get tricky, doesn't it? Because my sort of journalistic instinct tells me surely they wouldn't be so stupid as to cover it up. Because I've worked for lots of news organisations, and people always ask me, you know, have you ever, you know, were you ever told not to do something? And I never have been. You know, I've never been told we can't do that. Right. Other than for a legal reason. And generally speaking, if it was for a legal reason, you didn't have enough on the story. That was fair enough. And, and I mean, yeah. if, if this is more than that, then that's going to be, I mean, potentially uh, ruinous for ABC. Oh, absolutely. I think the networks are in a lot of trouble right now um, because if they have at a very high level squashed stories, uh, you know, it's, it's less that people will trust them. Um, you squash the story because it was it was involving really high, highly placed, powerful people. Um, that's not what journalists do. And I myself have never been told not to do a story. And if I was told not to do a story, I would go on the air and do the story the first thing. Um, <laughs> well, exactly. But, but unless unless it's legally um, something that you're going to put the, the station in jeopardy on, right. 
which which it could yeah. be. I mean, it could be that they didn't have enough on on the guy, and that it was one woman's word against everybody who's very powerful's word. And sometimes those people have lawyers uh, who make it very difficult. They can make it very difficult, but ABC is made of money, and you have lawyers too. Yes, right. And you, you you meet their lawyers in court, and you go, "Give it your best shot, babe." <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Talking of giving it your best shot, the Trump impeachment uh, scenario carries on. Uh, we've now got a guy who has basically flipped uh, on his uh, recollections of what happened. Uh, he sure has. Um, his name is Sundland, and he is a key witness in the House impeachment investigation um, and said that, yeah, you know, now that I've refreshed my recollection, <laughs> uh, it appears that, uh, that yeah, there was a little bit of a threat there. Um, it, I guess he's listening to the other testimony, and he's decided, well, yeah, okay, maybe maybe there was a little coercion there. And so, I mean, we are still pretty much where we are, though, right? We're not any closer uh, to an impeachment procedure, particularly. Uh, we're getting a little bit closer, but it's, you know, they still don't have quite the... The smoking gun, as we like to call it, no. Uh, in order to con in to convict, basically. I mean, it's a trial. Face it, uh, and they need enough evidence to convict. And right now, they just don't have it. Right, and this is again a, a new kind of journalism technique where we hear, and it's happening in this country as well. The next report that comes out is going to be the one that nails it. You know, the next report that comes out is going to be the one that's going to be right. filled with all of the really, really juicy, incriminating stuff. And then when that comes out. It's not. Right. And so far they have they have failed to actually, you know, completely annihilate the president. And in order to impeach, I mean, they are going to have to to prove to voters, not just the Congress, mm. that they have they have fantastic evidence and they absolutely know that he did it. Period. End of sentence. Yeah. Right now they don't have it locked up. Incredible stuff. LaDonna, thank you very much indeed. LaDonna Harvey from KOGO Radio in San Diego, California, uh, bringing us the latest from there uh, and keeping us updated on the whole Trump scenario, which seems to be going on and on and on. I think for as long as he's president, even if he gets to win a second term, there'll be some impeachment process going on concurrently uh, with him actually running the White House. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10th one Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. 
Code Program.